Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Yumiko, one of the pastors at Wellspring. And sorry, it took a little while for me to settle down here. There's a lot going on. So glad to be worshiping with you this morning, especially today as we get to celebrate Robbie, along with many other, many other people, or a few other people. And while we're also happy for you, Robbie, and we're excited for God will continue to do in your retirement and through you. Because we all know, Robbie, you're never going to retire from your ministry of the gospel. You continue to work for the kingdom. So we know that and we're excited. But at the same time, if I may be very honest, I feel a little bit anxious. Uh, I mean, what are we going to do without Robbie? We don't want to pressure her, but that's our honest feeling. <laughs> I mean, many of us have absolutely relied upon her for so many years. Right? She's someone who's been holding everything together for this community. And I'm sure, I'm sure the church will be fine. We have Pastor Rebecca, Pastor Cheryl, Pastor Dan to continue to care for the congregation. We have Servants Leadership Council, which is our leadership body, now going to be led by Karen, along with many talented, gifted, gracious people who's going to keep tackling just insane amount of tasks. They're going to do that. And we have our staff, Pat and Val, to see to all the projects in this church. But, but for many of us, right, we'll miss her as her, our friend, as a sister in Christ, and someone we can count on. For me, she has been the connection, connection between me and the larger Wellspring Ohana. From the day one when I arrived here, when a couple years ago, I didn't know anyone during the COVID. I only see five of you and then everybody else was online. So everybody knows what I look like. I don't know what you look like. All these times, right? Like I get to hear the story from Robbie and hear just like being talking to her made me feel connected to the larger part of Ohana. And even to this day, she makes me feel connected to the body. So, Robbie, really, what am I going to do without you? <laughs> and I think that's what I've been feeling since I learned that she's going to retire. And I think that's been on my mind. You know, every morning, like every Sunday morning, I come here and I was like, Robbie, are you excited? The counting down the weeks and I'm trying to be happy. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, what are we going to do? And I wonder if that's, that's been on my mind. And that's why kind of um, this beginning of today's passage resonated with me in a very particular way. You might have received a handout. If not, um, I will try to do my best to incorporate that. But today's passage is Exodus 32. And then there we see anxious people, a little bit like myself, except they had a lot more to worry about. And the level of anxiety was far more intense than what I have today. The Israelites in the beginning of Exodus 32, one, we see they were anxious because Moses was gone. Moses has been their leader. So without Moses, how are they going to get to the promised land? And Moses was the only person who could come close to God, who could hear God's voice and who could hear God, receive God's message and speak to God. Moses was the connection between God and the Israelites. And Israelites absolutely relied upon Moses. 
but this Moses was gone. So what are they going to do without Moses? Moses' absence perhaps made them anxious and nervous. Or it may be the Israelites thought, Moses is gone. What are we going to do now that Moses is gone? See, Exodus 32, verse 1, we can read as a, the Israelites, the people were in a state of panic or they were acting out, out of their rebellious heart. But either way, the story is Moses was gone for a long time and the Israelites took action. They went to Aaron, who was one of the leaders, and the Aaron and demanding different gods. Aaron gave in to the pressure and made a golden calf and led the worship, which made God so angry. God was so angry to the point that God wanted to destroy the Israelites and wanted to start all over. In verses 9 and 10 in Exodus 32, we see God was saying, instead of taking these people, these Israelites, to the promised land as I have promised and as I have planned and as I work for, I want to get rid of them. I want to get rid of all of them. I want to get rid of them. I want to start all over. I want to start fresh. No, I'm not taking them to the promised land. Let's start a whole new set of God's people. And we're going to start the new God's people. And we're going to do, take them to the promised land. But not these people. I am done. I am done with these people. God was so, so angry. And when Moses walked into the middle of the worship of the golden calf, he also got mad. He also got so mad that he took this precious tablets that God had made with his own hand and gave it to Moses and people. He smashed it to the ground and said, you people don't worth this tablets. You don't, you don't worth the gift from God. And he went and destroyed this golden calf, burned it, and then burned and mix, mixed it up with the, what they burned with the water, had the people drink this mixture of water and a burned golden calf, and 3,000 people were killed. See, this was a big deal. The golden calf was a big, big deal. But why? Why was such a big deal? Is it because this is who God is? The God is angry God and jealous God? Or is it because God hates idol worship so much, so much more than the Israelites have done so far? Complaints, lack of trust, disobedience? Or is it because the God simply had enough? I think any of these may explain why God was angry, but not sure if that explains why God was this angry to the point that God wanted to destroy God's people. Why was golden calf such a big deal? 
to see why, let's look at the context. And then in the handout, you see two contexts and you can kind of follow along and write it down, whatever you like to do. In the beginning of the Exodus 3, uh, sorry, 33, we see Moses was gone for a long time. Where was he? Right here, origami Moses that I made. <laughs> No, he wasn't here. <laughs> Sorry, not to confuse you. <laughs> he was actually up on, oh, here. And I'm going to make it clear. Here's Mount Sinai. And Moses was up on a mountain because God called Moses up on the mountain to give some instructions. And these instructions are very, oh, okay, you stay over here, Moses, because you were there. Okay. These, uh, these instructions are very special and very long and very detailed. It, it actually took, the, when, when you look at Exodus 25 to 31, six chapters, everything is written down there. It's very long, very detailed. In these instructions that God was given on the mountain to Moses, these instructions were mainly about the tabernacles, about the high priest, and a Sabbath. And the, the reason why these instructions were long and detailed and special, because this was God's game plan. The game plan of how God would be among God's people in a very tangible way. The plan included building how to build a tabernacle and how to establish the system of the high priest as a visible and tangible uh, representation of God's presence among them. And while it won't be exactly the same as it is in heaven, with this plan, God would be among God's people. See, God was sharing this picture of life together with the Israelites. That's what Moses was up to in the beginning of Exodus 32 and while the Israelites were worshiping the golden calf. Another origami visual for you today. <laughs> okay, you see right here. Okay, calf is very big. I don't know how big it was anyway. And there is a very, actually, as cute as I try to make, there's actually painful irony in this picture. Right. On the mountain, God was sharing this well-prepared, detailed picture of life together with God's people. There on the mountain, there is a harmonious order, there's beauty, there's excitement, there's anticipation of life together. At the mountain, at the, sorry, at the below mountain, uh, however, God was forgotten. Instead of a well-prepared plan for life together, what we see at the foot of mountain is this haphazard reaction. Instead of order, there's confusion and chaos of what's going on. They made and worshiped the golden calf. And while Aaron said, oh, this is a worshipful God, our God, Yahweh, the manner in which they did worship is not how you worship our God, Yahweh. So what is he saying? People said they want a golden calf, but was this as a symbol of Yahweh that they wanted, or they wanted some new gods? Reading the scripture, it's very confusing to really try to get what Aaron was doing, what those people wanted. It's a pure chaos. 
on Mount Sinai, God's plan was all about God's people. God and God's people are going to work together to make their life together a reality. God's people was a motivation and a focus of God's work and God's plan. But at the foot of the mountain, it wasn't so. The people's work, people's worship, was all about the golden calf. God was not their focus. God wasn't on their minds. They were not thinking about God or the work that God is doing on the mountain with Moses right at the moment. And that's one of the reasons why the golden calf was such a big deal. Because by worshiping the golden calf, what Israelites did is they turned their back to God. By worshiping the golden calf, they sabotage God's work. And that's why it was a big deal. And it wasn't only God's work that golden calf tarnished. It also damaged the relationship between God and God's people. And that's another reason why golden calf is such a big deal. So it damaged the relationship between God and God's people. You see, right before Moses got to go on the mountain, something significant happened. Which we can see in Exodus 24 is Mosaic Covenant. This is what happened right before Moses got called up on the mountain. We see in Exodus 24 and 4 to 11, a covenant was signed between God and the leaders of people. And a Mosaic covenant was the significant achievement in the history of God and God's people's relationship for so many reasons. But one of the reasons is this was a covenant. Beautiful handwriting by somebody who wrote, not me, my husband wrote it. <laughs> he doesn't like it. I've heard it. Anyway, just notice how beautiful. It was a contract. <laughs> and it's a big deal, not because it's a good handwriting, but it's because it was a contract. It's a formal, it was a mutual agreement between God and God's people. In this Mosaic covenant, God's commitment was to be with God's people and for God's people. And God's people's commitment was to become a community with God. The covenant was presented to the people. They say, sounds good. Okay, so they took the young bulls, killed them, and the blood, they took the blood, mixed with the water, and they sprinkled it on altar, sprinkled this mixture on people, which made, sealed the deal, made it official, Yes, this is it. God and God's people made a vow to each other to be with each other and to be for each other. That's the Mosaic Covenant. It's a significant milestone here. From the creation, God's desire and hope was clear. God wanted to be in community with people, us, the creation. God created us, the humans, in the image of God, God of Trinity. And one of the important images that we're created after is to be in community because Trinity God 
God, Father, Holy Spirit. This Trinity is all in one in community. So that's what God created in the beginning, in the creation, to be in... Okay, you stand up. I'm not cooperating. Okay, good. So that's what happened. But that didn't last long in the Garden Eden. So then God... But God didn't give up to be with God's people. So God made a promise with... Sorry, I should hold it up. God made a promise with Noah and to be with Noah's descendants and be for... Hey... I said your importance. Okay, you stay here. Noah, and they went on making the similar promise with Abraham and say, I'm going to be with you and your descendants. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to look out for you and your descendants. Sorry, this technical difficulty over here. <laughs> it worked very well in my head, but it didn't work at all. And with Moses, God promised to be their God and unfold them. And that's what the God's Mosaic Covenant made it official, right? This has been a promise. This has been God's intention that we can see. And God made a promise to Noah. God made his promise to Abraham. But Mosaic Covenant is different because not only he said to Moses, he said to all the people that this is not just a verbal promise. This is an official deal. This is a commitment that I am making for seriously. That's what the covenant is. And that's why this is a significant, Mosaic covenant is a significant milestone. See, from the time of creation to Mount Sinai, God has been relentlessly working, patiently being with the people, doing every single thing to be with God's people. And at this Mosaic Covenant, it's not only God promising, people respond and say, yes, that's what we want. But that's when this golden calf happened. They did right after people said, yes, I want to be in a community with you, God. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be for you. And God said, great. That's when they did exactly opposite of what they have promised. They turned their back and they broke the covenantal commitment. Imagine you walk into the bedroom where you and your spouse are about to consummate the marriage. Earlier that day, you and your spouse made a, the vow, the covenant of marriage. And as you're about to start your life together by consummating your marriage, you find your spouse with someone else doing exactly what you're about to do with your spouse in the very place that you're about to do so. And the spouse look at you say, Oh, I didn't know where you went, so I just replaced you with someone else. <laughs> it's comical to see as an imaginary scenario, but at that moment, right, at that moment, what you see in front of you is the immorality and absurdity, ridiculousness of your spouse's action. And you may also see all of your hopes and dreams you had for the life together 
and all the work you have put it into to make it happen shatters in front of you. The spouse's action, ridicule, invalidate, and reject your hope, your dream, your work, your plan, and you. That's what the Israelites did with the golden calf to God. Worship is a special and a sacred art. It is meant to be directed only to God, the creator, not to the creation of human hands. For the Israelites to worship something other than God who had long desired for them and had to prepare so much for life together, that's just wrong absurd, immoral, and ridiculous. There was no one but God who called them my people. There's no one but God who heard their cry when they were in Egypt under the oppression. They're crying out to God. There's no one but God who heard their cry. There's no one but God who rescued them and delivered them from Egypt, Egypt and hands of Egyptian, an impossible situation. There was no one but God who would walk with them literally in the desert, provided them every single step. There's no one but God who had long after long, long years of waiting still wanted to make a commitment to be their God. There was no one but God. But it wasn't God that they desired for. It wasn't the God they worked hard for. It wasn't God that they worshipped. It was the golden calf. By worshipping this golden calf, they rejected God's work, God's plan, God's hope, God's dream, God's love, and they rejected God. It was hurtful. It was horrible. And it had a massive impact on the relationship between God and God's people. And that's why, that's why the golden calf is such a big deal. The golden calf was a big deal, such a big deal that Moses actually talk, wrote it down and talked about it years and years later. So many years after this, what happened in Mount Sinai, Moses stood in front of the Israelites, but not all the people, the exact the same group of people who were at the foot of the mountain. But this is the new generation of Israelites that Moses was standing in front. And these are the people who would now enter into the promised land. To these people, Moses reminded them what the Israelites have done. Moses reminded them the Israelites have complained, failed to trust God at Massa and Meribah, as we saw in a couple weeks ago. We have shattered God's heart at Mount Sinai. But Moses also reminded in all these years, God has been faithful. God has been loving. God has been providing them. God loved them. God desired for them. Even after all of what we have done. Moses reminded the people, what an amazing God we have. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> what an amazing God we have. And then on, 
Moses told them in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. In there, Moses saying, listen, listen and love the Lord your God. Hear what we have done. Hear what God has done. And now respond with your love. In this, um, in this context, in the a, in a Hebrew, Hebrew word that use listen, is actually not just audibly receiving the information, but hear and respond to what you hear. That's in one word. So uh, Moses here saying, listen to, um, listen to what you have done. Listen to what God has done. And don't just sit still, but respond to what you heard with your action. Not just, and when you say love, not just with emotion, but intentional decision to love God. Hear, respond, love, and devote yourself to God. And I think that's a, perhaps a good reminder for us all. We're invited to hear what the Israelites have done, what God has done. And we're invited to not just listen and sit still, we're invited to listen and respond. Respond to what we heard, respond to love the Lord our God, not just with our words, not just with our emotions. Take action, whether that your action may be to know God more, hear more about what God has done, or maybe take an action to join what God is doing here today. What does that look like for you? What's your response look like? What does it look like for you to love your God? What does it look like for you to join God's work today? In Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 22, Moses tells what it looks like for the Israelites. And while this is not spoken to us who live here today and it's not completely applicable, I think it may still guide us as we search for an answer. So I'm going to end with a reading of this Deuteronomy and feel free to just listen, meditate, and ask the question, what does it look like for you to love our God? Hear the word of God through the mouth of Moses. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing and you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves who are foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him. Take your oath in his name. He's the one you praise. He's your God who performed for, 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 perform for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 17 all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is the word of God, and we give thanks for God 
who always desires to be with us and who is always desired to be for us.